Well, Martha Walker, I want to thank you for giving us a very good reason to be a prayer pal. You may not have been able to hear what Martha said, and I would rather you hear it in her words, so go ask her today what she said. She'll be happy to tell you, but the gist of it was that she learned from the children the character of Jesus. And that's very much in our text today, that if we want to understand what it's like to be in the kingdom, we learn from the children. So um, part of it is, is that you and I have something to share with them. Part of it is God shares through them what we need to know about being part of the kingdom. And I think that's uh, Martha's wisdom after 57 years. So uh, be sure and fill out one of those prayer pal cards today. September 9th will be our prayer pal Sunday. And uh, the last one we had was fantastic. And we're looking forward to a good one too. Uh, on September 9th, and um, here we are uh, in this passage, which happens to include the teaching about the children and the kingdom. But there's two parables that lead into that, and it's not disconnected. So if you want to read along, we're going to be in Luke 18, and since there's some parables, I can't help it. There's got to be different voices Uh, I'll do my best without being too entirely silly, but I want you to hear that these are larger-than-life characters that are in this parable. Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. He said there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up being beaten black and blue by her pounding. Jesus says, do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think that God won't step in and work justice for his children? uh, Or for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will, and he will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith, like the widow had, how much of that will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? He told them his next story. To some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses, At the common people. Two men went up to the temple, said Jesus. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. O God, I thank thee that I am not like other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my incomes. 
Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, and just said, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other one, this tax man went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. And it's out of these two parables that then Jesus teaches about faith and humility and the kind of arrogance that goes before a fall. And and eventually we follow up and we see that... um, that there's this, there's this moment where the people are bringing the children to Jesus and, and, and they're sending them away. But we'll come back to that in a second. In parable one, there's a lesson about persistent faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I had heard for many years, and I just held on to this idea, that the meaning of that parable was Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. And what I did with that lesson was, I thought, you know, I'd better be careful when I ask God for stuff. Because if I keep bugging him, he just might give it to me. Uh, You know, I'll tell him that that I want uh, a million dollars, and he'll give it to me, but he'll give it to me, and I won't be happy with it. Um... That if I, um, you know, if I ask him for a, a brand new car, he's going he's gonna to give it to me, and, and then I'm going to run it off a cliff. Uh, you know. And this is not a godly parable and God or interpretation, and this is not the way God behaves. We get this idea from stuff like um, uh, stories about genies and lamps and monkey paws and stuff like that, you know, that... That uh, every time you, you make a little wish, you get something good, but then something bad has to happen. That's not gospel, that's cynicism. There is nothing in this parable that says, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. In fact, this parable is saying, when you pray to God and ask for justice, you will get it. He's saying, but you've got to ask and not give up. The lesson of the corrupt judge, the rotten judge, is this. He's doing the right thing, but he's doing it for all the wrong reasons. The kids right here can tell you why. They heard the story. Why did he do it? So that the woman will shut up. That's why. He is sick of it. Give her what she wants. Send her away. This judge is a horrible person. But he's still doing the right thing. Now, the way Jesus teaches is he says, so if, if this rotten, corrupt judge will do the right thing for the wrong reasons, then don't you think that God will do even more and do it for all the right reasons? That's called going from the lesser to the greater. I mean, this, is, this is kindergarten uh, lessons for parables. I mean, the the parable people are listening to this. Jesus is telling this. The people listening to it, they know parables are like, yep, we get it. We get it. God's that much better. So, but then when he says, but now will the Son of Man find that kind of persistent faith? He's asking a question for us. 
are we going to keep asking? Or are we going to give up? And one of the reasons we might give up is we might think, well, you know, uh, God, we got to be careful about bothering God. I mean, you know, he might get really mad at us and give us what we want and then we'll never be happy. And after all, we can probably take care of a lot of this ourselves. In fact, why don't we do that? Why don't we just do everything and um, take care of stuff and then God will be so happy and pleased with us? Because, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Now, as you're looking up where that scripture is, uh, okay, I, I, and, and I got, I've got, uh, in fact, I've, I've got 50 bucks for whoever finds that scripture first, okay? You can look it up in your concordance. God helps those who help themselves, okay? So you look it up, and while, you, while you're looking it up, watch this video. Did you know that the saying, God helps those who help themselves, isn't anywhere in the Bible? Now, perhaps you're one of those 80% of Americans who believe that the Bible teaches this model, and then went searching for it in the Ten Commandments or sayings of Jesus. Sorry to break it to you, but you'll have as much luck finding that motto as you would the lost city of Atlantis. So if it's not in the Bible, where'd it come from? Well, the motto is often most attributed to Benjamin Franklin and his Poor Richard's Almanac. Others say it's a moral taught in Aesop's fables. There's even a variation of it in the Quran. Whatever its origin, this isn't at all what the Bible teaches. In fact, it says the exact opposite. The Bible reminds us that God helps those who can't help themselves. Get the rest of the story at BibleGateway.com. Well, how about that? We got an ad for Bible Gateway. And uh, looks like I get to keep my $50. Um, yeah. But the message is, the message is that God actually helps us when we can't help ourselves. That while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Not when we got better, not when we got cleaned up, not when we got improved, not when we proved that we were worthy of it. Um, The widow who comes to the judge is desperate. You might say, well, why is is she a widow? That's important. Because she has no one to advocate for her. So she's going to the corrupt judge. She has no one else to protect her, to take care of her. She's asking for justice. And sometimes you and I come up against problems or, or we may face challenges. And, and, and our, is our first inclination then to ask the Son of Man for justice? You might say, Son of Man? We don't, we don't, we don't think of Jesus in that role. Jesus as the Son of Man is his role as the final judge. The supreme authority over everything. That figure, the Son of Man, is the one who will come and judge all things. There is no higher authority. So he's saying when that day comes, that all things will be judged, will you be the one asking for justice and righteousness? Let's let's challenge one another. Let's encourage one another to ask. Sometimes we get caught up. In, in the can't do's, and, and, and we just leave it at that. We say, well, we can't do that, or that won't work, or maybe, well, you know, we tried, but it, we just weren't able to do it. If we want to share the gospel, then let's ask God for open doors to share the gospel. If we, um, and, and by the way, don't hear in this that if we say the right words the right way and pray with the right amount of faith that we get whatever we want. No, we're just told that God answers prayers. 
and God is good, but sometimes it may not seem good to us, but it is good. And it's his answer. And that's what we're asking for. We're asking him for justice. That would be much better than the self-reliant, self-affirming prayers that we often launch into like the Pharisee. And that takes us to parable two. The Pharisee and his values are turned upside down. I mean, that Pharisee prayer, come on. Wasn't that the worst? I mean, did you actually hear it? That's why it had to have that voice. You know, I thank you, God, that I'm not a robber. Well, you're not supposed to be a robber. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, don't thank God for that. Just don't be a robber. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's how that works. But thank you that I'm not like this tax man. Oh, I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed. And the, uh, it, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And, and yet everything that he prays for in that prayer says, God, thank you for being my magic totem that, Uh, supports everything that I believe in. What was that prayer about? What was being valued in that prayer? What was being valued is that the Pharisee could appear as the example of righteousness. Uh, And by the way, the Pharisee is praying for the same things that we saw in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, that on the outside, the blessed rich man People thought he must be righteous because God is rewarding him. The Pharisee is saying, thank you for all of my privileges, God. This confirms to everyone and to me that I'm doing things right. The tax man would have no hope. He shouldn't even be in the temple. He shouldn't even be in there because he's a traitor. He's a scoundrel. He's turned against his own people. And, and most people seeing him come into the temple and say, God, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner, they would say, that's the reason you shouldn't be in here. Turn away from all that, then come to God. But Jesus says that's the one that's justified because there's no pretense there. There's no fronting when it comes to the tax man. Because the tax man, his prayer was for one thing, mercy. By the way, it's very possible, too, historically, that the tax man was just as rich as the Pharisee. Uh, Tax collecting was a very lucrative business, a bit illegal, shady, and nobody liked you, but you could make a lot of money at it. The Pharisee has nothing in his prayer that asks for mercy. He's already got whatever he needs, and he thinks that God has given it all to him. The tax man is asking for one thing, and he desperately needs it, mercy. So he goes to God like the widow went to the corrupt judge and asks. She asked for justice. He asks for mercy. And what Jesus shows us is an upside-down kingdom where the things that we think are valuable are actually turned over. Just like we saw with the rich man and Lazarus, that it wasn't the rich man who was righteous because he was blessed, and Lazarus who was sinful because he had to suffer. 
It's actually the other way around, that what we see on the surface is not how it really is. That the Pharisee um, appears righteous, and he appears like a good man, and he's very pious and religious and very spiritual, but he's empty. And the tax man, who's made all of these bad choices and turned against his people, is the one whose heart is crying out to God. That's the upside-down values of the kingdom. And the reason why we see kingdom values upside down is because they run counter to the values of this world. But religious people, this can happen to them, like it does for the disciples. After this parable, these two parables, the very next story, the disciples are managing Jesus' daily teaching And along come people with their little children. Now, in Jesus' world, people don't instantly look at children and say, Oh, how cute. Oh, how sweet. We love children. Isn't that neat? See that rhyme? And, uh, you know, that's not what they do. In fact, children are, uh, they're they're kind of trouble. They're they're not important. They don't have status as people. Uh, You don't, you don't. You know, that, they're, they're for uh, nannies and moms, and meanwhile, the men will do all the real business, okay? Um, that's the world of Jesus, and yet some of that still remains today, but we've gotten better. And uh, the disciples are actually telling the people with the children, go away. He doesn't have time for you and your kids. Go away, go away. Not today, not today. We got, he's got more important stuff. By kingdom values, they would rate people in terms of their society, their importance in society, and, and, and maybe who can influence and, and who's, who has more influence on others, and they would sort people out like that, and these little kids don't have time. And Jesus corrects them very strongly and says no. In, in, in the word of Peterson's translation, he says, they are the pride and joy of the kingdom. Because like Martha affirmed this morning, they show us what the kingdom is like. That we have to come to God desperate like little children for mercy, dependent on our Father. So the disciples, even the disciples, missed the point. They're not praying self-righteous prayers in the temple, but they're guilty of their own skewed worldly values. This can happen to religious people. We can sanctify the values of the world, even in church. We can pursue wealth, health, power. We can can work very hard to maintain a good reputation in the community. We can uh, always try to preserve our privilege. We can get very anxious and get out the vote and do a lot of things so that we can protect our power and influence. And yet all of those things are participating in a kingdom that is not the kingdom of God. Instead of trusting in the Son of Man who will judge all things, we trust in ourselves and our ability to do stuff. The remedy for this... And by the way, I'm I'm telling you this because this kind of self-righteousness creeps up on us. It gets us in our anxiety. And I can preach it because I know it because I felt it. I've often thought, you know, yeah, that's what you got. I got to get a degree. I got to have a, I got, I got to wear that. I've got a title. I'm Dr. Benjamin. And that's a store-bought title. 
So, you know, that's the only one I'm happy with. I go to places and they say, how do we introduce you? Reverend, high, honor, what, you know, what do you do? And I, I'm, I haven't done it yet, but I, I'm really ready to tell them, you know, I am the grand potentate, his royal highness. Yeah, that's what I want to do. But um, I just got one store-bought title. But that's not important because that's not a kingdom value. That's just, it, it's, it, it's all about being a servant. It's all about being desperate. No matter what we do for ourselves, no matter what we achieve for ourselves, we are all desperate for the mercy of God. And you can only get that by His grace, by His goodness, His love. And you have to be careful because this can creep up on us. And the remedy to this is to have the kind of humility that the tax man shows in the parable. That if we will all have that kind of humility, then it keeps us from being caught up in our own resources, our own intelligence, our own strength, our own achievements. Now listen, I'm not putting all those things down to say, you know, don't ever talk about your achievement. No, we should never, we should never uh, take it. Hey, if God has given us means, then just like the parable about the... Uh, the dishonest steward, let's use that for kingdom purposes. If God has given us uh, uh, wisdom, if he has given us uh, you know, whatever intelligence or influence we might have, then let's use it for kingdom purposes. But the second we start relying on it, we've gone from the values of the kingdom to the values of this world, and it will trap us. This is why Jesus said, and we mentioned this verse last week, This is why he says to the Pharisees, you are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others. But God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. That can apply to a lot of things. It can apply to the self-righteous Christian who believes that doing all the right things has earned him or earned her a place in church and therefore a place in heaven. It can also apply to the person who says, uh, you know, uh, the world is changing and and, and let's just not judge and, and let's just embrace all things and look at me. I'm a wonderful person because I love everybody. But are you loving them with the love of God? What society sees and calls monumental God sees through and calls monstrous. This, so what's the remedy? The remedy is to have that humility so that we go to God and ask Him for His grace. Uh, I'm teaching a series tonight on the Bible verses that support the 12 steps of recovery programs. And I started that last week and so I posted it online, and, and that'll be tonight at 6 p.m. And if you have any interest in that at all, or if you just want to come to a Bible study tonight, it'll be Philippians. I invite you to be here. But I posted that last week to let people know, hey, this is what's happening. I want to encourage anyone, anyone to come to this. They don't have to be a member of this congregation, just anyone, because I, I want people to hear God's Word. One of my friends who doesn't live in this town, but he said, thanks for doing this. At a church in our town, a member told a visitor that her kind wasn't welcome because she attended Celebrate Recovery. 
I didn't think that such self-righteousness like that still existed. I thought that was I thought that was the kind of stuff you see on sitcoms and you know little cheese. But uh, you know he, he's telling me that now. I had my response ready to go, and I backed it up, and I said, that's very sad. Because, see, the response I was going to give was, I want a name and a number. (laughs) And I want to talk to this person. And so many of you, you'd give me a pass if I gave that person a piece of my mind. You'd be cheering me on, perhaps. Some of you would say, well, no, you're not supposed to do that, but secretly you'd be going, give it to him, give it to him. You know, I, mean, I know that. And I'm justifying it myself. But that mercy and that humility before God caused me also to realize, God, I can't do this, can I? Because if I do that, then I'm just practicing the same kind of destructive self-righteousness as that person who said that. I don't get to do that. I'm going to leave that to the Son of Man. He'll sort it out. Because see, when I decide that I'm going to become the judge, here's the problem. I'm really bad at it. I'm not good at judging. I'm not good at judging myself. I'm not good at judging you. I'm not good at judging anybody. And I've got, an, got another secret to tell you. And this is not a judgment because, remember, I'm bad at it. You're bad at it too. And uh, the, the reason, you know, Jesus says that. But the good news is, is God is saying, I'll, hey, all judgment stuff, just bring it up here to the head office. We'll take care of it. You be obedient, be humble, be merciful. It's all going to sort out. And, and the reason why we're bad judges is because we get our kingdom values messed up too often. We need to practice the kind of values of Jesus that we're ready for the Son of Man to come back. That's how this all fits into the idea of the end game. If you and I don't have that perspective on his return, then we'll think that establishing ourselves and being successful in this world is what it's all about. But we need to keep in mind that the things that we see around us, they're just temporary. They're not going to last. And that alone ought to make us humble. That ought to give us the kind of humility where we ask for mercy. Now, this song that we're going to sing says, notice that there's a day coming when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. That's a good message. That's a message of hope. That when the Son of Man comes back, He gives us that kind of justice. What are the, where do the heartaches come from? The heartaches come from our misplaced values. It comes from the way that we skew things. and People get hurt because some people value goods before people. Because, um, because other people are hurt. And that causes them to add pain to the wor- world. No more tears to dim the eye. What causes people to cry? What causes people to cry is sadness, but also injustice. Let's have a vision of what, where it's all going, where we're all heading. And I want you to think of it like this. 
When you're going on a trip, and you've been traveling this summer, some of you, and you might be traveling today or later this summer, and I'm going to tell you this so you'll think of it. To get there, you can now plug in your destination on your GPS. And even if you get turned off on some side street that, you know, uh, or you, you end up on the wrong interstate, your little GPS is going to be patient. It might sound a bit annoyed, but trust me, it's just a machine. And it'll say, recalculating. Sometimes I do a bunch of left-hand turns just to hear the thing go, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. When you and I get off and on our values, we need to stop and recalculate. And the way we recalculate is to keep the destination in view. To keep the return of the Son of Man in view and let that shape our values. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would bless us as we sing this song together, that if um, there's anybody that needs to respond to your grace and mercy, that we'll be able to, um, that we'll be able to minister to them in your name. That, uh, Father, we, we come to you and we ask for, uh, we ask for mercy. We ask for your forgiveness because we're sinners. And yet, Father, help us to feel the measure of that mercy, to know how important and how reality breaking that is that we've been given opportunities we didn't know that we had please lord don't let us take it too lightly but let it reshape our view of the world we live in we pray this in jesus name amen if we can minister to you in any way we want to do so let's stand and sing there'll be elders down here there'll be elders back in room 100